Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, you know, wherever you may be, and welcome to the Digital Crypto Podcast. Today, we're going to be doing a general overview of what we know about the new Libra currency that Facebook is launching. This is going to be a solo episode with just myself, so I apologize in advance that you just have to listen to me today. So this is uh, something that I called a while ago, uh, once Facebook started to ban crypto advertisements and really started to put the hammer down on anything crypto related. To me, it was quite clear that this was because they were going to develop their own cryptocurrency uh, of sorts for their platforms. Um, what I originally thought it was going to be was going to be proprietary, so I did get that part wrong, um, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. So... You know, Mark Zuckerberg is a lot of things, and there's a lot about, you know, what he and his company do that I don't like, and frankly, I think is pretty abhorrent in terms of promoting uh, an open society, a free society, a, a more uh, libertarian society. But he is a genius businessman uh, with a keen ability to predict trends and see where attention is going. That's key. Where is attention going? Where is the next trend? So people criticize, you know, Facebook, the, you know, like the Facebook platform, that solo platform, you know, they call it an aging platform. It's slowly bleeding users, which it is. Uh, But, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, the company, not the platform, but the company has always been very forward thinking. They were able to, uh, he, you know, he himself saw, you know, the Facebooks, you know, because it used to be called the Facebook. Actually, originally it was uh, Crimson Connect when he was doing it with uh, the Winklevoss twins and, and, and all that. But uh, when the Facebook kind of became to, kind of, it was coming in, into his brain on what, what, what did this mean? He really instantly, uh, or I should say pretty quickly, realized the potential, you know, from day one. And then later, as Facebook was growing, he realized that Instagram was going to be the next thing. Like Instagram already existed. Uh, It was already had users, but it was nothing of what it was now. And he realized where attention was moving, that Instagram was going to be the next big thing. So he bought it for $1 billion at the time. I don't have the date in front of me, but uh, at the time, it was a move that was criticized for being ridiculously overpriced. Well, Instagram now, as of last year, I believe generates, I I believe it was 2018, uh, they generate $9 billion in ad revenue alone. Just Instagram, not all of of Facebook's platforms, but Instagram alone annually gives them $9 billion in ad revenue. And it has been valued at $100 billion if it was its own company and not just a division of Facebook. So Zuckerberg saw the potential in Snapchat as well. Snapchat um, is, as far as apps go, I haven't looked at the numbers in probably a little over a year, but it was where basically all the youth attention was going, was people, you know, the younger kids, you know, in the 18 and under were using Snapchat over, say, Facebook. Facebook's an older people platform now. But the owner would not sell. Uh, He was already independently wealthy, and he wasn't awed by a big check. They basically then just added Snapchat-like features to Facebook and Instagram, and it severely damaged Snapchat uh, to the point where it really hasn't recovered 
its lost market share and definitely not its uh, it's failed to meet a lot of its targets and it, it's definitely lost a lot of market share to to Instagram uh, since that time but there's no I have no doubt that Bitcoin pretty early on not like 2012 right but 2013 2014 when it really kind of came into the purview of the Forbes and Wall Street Journal crowd, uh, that idea of a workable digital currency could not have been something um, that wasn't floating around Mark Zuckerberg's brain, basically, for this past half decade. So as the trend of Bitcoin success has continued to rise, and uh, you know, I think that now we are seeing the culmination of that, the culmination of him understanding the trends of understanding what's coming next. And we see that now. Ta-da! Libra! Libra, Libra, Libra. Libra since uh, Tuesday, which would have been, I believe, let me check. You'll hear a little click. Let's look here. 18 June uh, 2019. The date of recording is 20 June 2019. And ever since the 18th, the last couple of days, it's just been Libra, 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 at least in the Bitcoin world. You can't definitely on a Tuesday. You couldn't uh, really scroll more than about three tweets in Bitcoin Twitter without running into a mention of Libra. And rightfully so. It is a massive thing. Right. And we'll kind of explain a little bit more uh, why, but just you know, at a very basic level in terms of the Bitcoin space, it legitimizes the term cryptocurrency. And some people have argued it doesn't, it's not really a cryptocurrency, it's not really a blockchain. Um, you know, there, there's some merit maybe to that argument a little bit. Uh, and I, I'm not a person who codes and understands the stuff at a very deep technical level. So maybe that, that, that may be true uh, in certain aspects. But they're calling themselves a cryptocurrency. It's perceived to be a cryptocurrency. The world now sees that a company like Facebook that owns Instagram, WhatsApp is worth, and that, that is worth hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, and, you know, companies like Uber, companies like eBay, you know, all these larger companies that are jumping on to participate in this are now, are now signaling to the public Cryptocurrency is legitimate. So, what does that really mean? Um, well, let's kind of talk about Libra and what it is, right? Just kind of a, a general. This is not going to be a technical deep dive. I will include links to basically their generic, kind of more public-friendly white paper-ish uh, kind of overview of it as well as the actual technical white paper. And like I just said, I am not a technical person. I'm not a coder. So I couldn't explain a lot of this. Uh, but what I'm going to do is kind of go over a very topical overview of the three parts of Libra. So what is it? It is a blockchain. It is a currency. And it is an, an association uh, who governs it. So Libra, the blockchain the protocol, Libra the currency, and Libra the association. So we'll start with the blockchain. So the Libra blockchain doesn't really operate in the same way that the Bitcoin blockchain does, right? Uh, Jameson Lopp, uh, who is a, a Bitcoin um, 
a programmer. He works for uh, Casa Hotel, and he had a, a Medium post, which I, w- I will link to as well. He described it as the blocks being more of a logical construct than an actual block of transactions the way that Bitcoin does, so that the validators can coordinate the snapshots of the ledger state. So basically, the whole of Libra is not like a a chain of blocks, right? If you imagine a blockchain, just imagine blocks attached by strings, right? And and you could imagine that each block of transactions relates to the previous one prior. That's Bitcoin. The way that this works is that each transaction basically creates a new snapshot, uh, snapshot, a snapshot uh, state of the network. So the state of the network is basically the history of all the transactions and everything that's ever happened on that network from that moment that the snapshot's taken to the very first one. Uh, so the blocks, the snapshot of the uh, of the network is the block basically in their blockchain. So every Every snapshot in the entire history is just one big block. And the next time that there's another transaction, it creates another snapshot. That's another you know block of a screenshot, a snapshot of that whole network. So think of it like a screen on your phone or your desktop. And let's just say every time you moved an icon, you got rid of Facebook or you move Facebook to the second screen and you moved Instagram over because you use that more often. Every time you did anything like that, you rearranged it, anything, it would screenshot the, the you know, the, your home screen and all the icons on it. And then next time that you did it again, it would screenshot it again. That screenshot of your home screen is the blocks for that Libra blockchain of, of what's happened on your phone right? You open up Word, screenshots that. You, you type 15 sentences, f- screenshots that. That is the blocks, right? It's, it's, it's recording everything that's happened on the screen of your phone every single time. So in Bitcoin, we'll, let's kind of go back to Bitcoin a little bit to, to kind of really let you know if you aren't familiar, and some of you may not really be that familiar with how Bitcoin works. I'm not going to really go into that, uh, I have done some earlier episodes on on how Bitcoin works, and I'll probably redo those a little bit more as I have learned a lot over the last you know year and a half. But um, in 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 short, in Bitcoin, if you remember, you know, if you send one Bitcoin to me, and it, it gets sent that transaction of of you sending me that one Bitcoin, it's sent into a pool of transactions. We call it the mempool. And once that's validated and included in the next block by a miner, that transaction, the the fact that I uh, now have plus one Bitcoin and you have minus one Bitcoin uh, is now written into that next block and connected to the previous block of transactions that was validated. So and it is connected, that string that connects them, it's a unique string of numbers called a hash. And the hash from this new block to the one previous validates the entire chain. Or I should say the, the hash from the old block to the new block validates the entire chain from that most recent block that just included our transaction to the very, very, very first one. Because the hash is unique between every single block and influences the hash going forward. So if I tried to go back 50 blocks, right, which would um, um, go back, that be what, like four or five hours and then just run off the top of my head. I'm not good with numbers. So if I try to uh, include a fake block, let's just say, you know, the 50 blocks ago, 
um, or 100 blocks ago, whatever it is, to show that, oh, uh, I, I insert a fake transaction to show that I received 1,000 Bitcoin from you. That would actually change all the hashes on the blocks following. So what that would do is it would indicate that something was wrong, right? So this way, each individual on the Bitcoin network can validate the chain as being valid, right? Because if it had changes, uh, changed those hashes going forward, then only my copy of this bad blockchain would be ringing true, right? Everyone else's would say, hey, this is completely wrong. And it would reject any of these transactions that I was trying to send out to the network. And since there's no central authority to validate these previous blocks and the, you know, kind of similar to that, the states of the network as valid, each individual node does this independently and then validates it for the whole network. When combined, when these individual nodes, like I'm running or like you would be running, when it combines with the majority of people participating, it indicates that once a majority of people say, ah, actually all what, what I'm trying to pass off as valid is not, that's what tells everybody to, that, that it is invalid. With Libra, it's more like the each transaction, uh, it's more like the transactions rewrite the entire ledger history as they're occurring checking transactions against confirmed snapshots in the entire network. And since the chain is not permissionless, the trade-off for privacy and security, you know, when you have a, a permissionless blockchain like Bitcoin, you get privacy, you get a higher degree of security. Um, but since it's not that way, it's actually a lot more quote-unquote efficient uh, in terms of validating transactions on the network. Everything that you ever will do in... In, in Bitcoin and any of these, when you're comparing one network to the other, it's a matter of trade-offs. It's not that one is perfect and the other one's not perfect. It's that there are, are trade-offs and you have to determine what trade-offs are better for you. So for example, right, if you uh, want to eat, you know, a pizza with a Coke and you want to do that every single night, right, your trade-off for momentary you know, mouth pleasure of enjoying that pizza, that soda, is that your that trade-off is that you're trading that off for, say, um, you know, increased gained weight, all the kind of stuff that goes along with that, more fatigue, you know, sleep as well, uh, higher rates of disease and cancer or whatever over the long haul. So those are your trade-offs. On the other hand, if you eat healthy, your trade-off is you have a higher chance of living longer, of having a better mental health outlook and all this kind of stuff. But the trade-off is you don't get to enjoy that delicious pizza. So uh, another point in the, or another uh, uh, facet of the Libra um, blockchain is it does employ what's called Byzantine fault tolerance in its consensus model, uh, which allows for up to a third of the nodes in the network to either be faulty or to act in a dishonest fashion. So if you don't know what Byzantine fault tolerance is, I will have a couple links to basically the Wikipedia, uh, as well as kind of a little simpler, more explanation of it as well. And I'll also be covering this in my upcoming minicast episode two. I was hoping to have it done and released um, this Friday, but just I got uh, things got too busy. I was not able to do it. Uh, but in, it, that, that's going to be coming out the following Friday after this uh, episode uh, airs on Monday. In general, though, the problem, this is a problem in distributed networks where 
you know, what happens if some of the actors fail or try to pass off bad information? Um, by actors, I mean nodes or participants in the network. Uh, if they fail, they don't work. Or if they try to pass bad information in the network or if they're just being malicious. Things like double spending a coin or attacking the network. In a centralized network, a authority can step in to right the wrong, right? They can, uh, in a centralized uh, computing network, they can just basically say, nope, that doesn't work, right? So the trade-off there with centralized versus decentralized is that centralized, you can have you know higher efficiency um, for kind of correcting these issues, right? But you also then are at the, you know, behest of and at the um, uh, hoping that that centralized authority does not act maliciously themselves, right? Because there's no consensus other than what they do. And also that there's a single point of failure. If that authority is somehow compromised, it's no good for anybody. But um, in a distributed system, conversely, where that uh, where there's no central authority to step in um, and there's no quote-unquote leader, you know, how do you do this? You know, how, how is this actually done in, in a decentralized? Well, in Bitcoin, you use uh, proof of work. Um, and this means that someone that wished to act maliciously on the chain, they would need to, you know, invest significant amount of time, money, and effort in an attempt to do this, right? Um, and the larger the proof of network is, you know, the larger it is, the more expensive and less likely this becomes that someone is going to not attempt because people attempt to, right? Bitcoin is the, the biggest honeypot really in history for hackers to prove that you know, Bitcoin doesn't work. Um, but the larger that the network becomes and Bitcoin is doing this every single day, the less likely it becomes. It's never going to be impossible, right? Because the ability for it to happen is present in the network, right? If you have a consensus mechanism, that means there's an ability for possibility for someone to, to get it but the 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 probability goes down it's like the fact that it hasn't occurred yet with there's you know hundreds of billions of dollars at stake means that the chances of it are extremely low and they get lower every single day um with libra basically it, they don't even have 100 nodes yet but let's say that they did uh, the way it works with them is if 30 of the nodes in the network just went down all of a sudden or they decided to attack the network, the majority of the honest nodes in the network would be signaling the correct state of the network, i.e. the history of all the transactions and the ability to trust what it's telling you when, when it someone sends you 10 Libra and you receive it that you can know that that's valid, right? Because the majority of the nodes are acting honestly and giving you a correct valid uh, history of the network and allows it to continue to function properly, right? But if it goes over 30, um, a third, then then you can have issues, right? And it fails. But the point of, in Bitcoin, you want to have the most distributed network you can. The more participants, the less likely it is that anyone can marshal the hash right or the consensus to be able to do this. With Libra, uh, the, you know, this could be, you know, I, I, to me, it seems less secure, you have fewer participants. Granted, what are the chances that Uber and eBay and all of them are going to decide to want to attack the network that they've invested money into and benefit from? But that doesn't mean that's impossible. And the fewer participants, 
means that even though it's a lesser possibility, it's easier to do. Or the, there's the same um, uh, low probability, but it's easier to do if that probability ever became um, a possibility. So Libra's protocols will also include a few other of these key features. It's going to be open source. I mentioned this already. And this is great. Uh, it signals that tech is continuing to move forward um, and move towards open source versus proprietary code. Uh, Microsoft was a really big player that did this for a long time. They were very proprietary and they've really moved towards open source. So I think that this signals as we go forward, and I think they kind of had to, uh, to for, for a couple other reasons. But regardless, it's, it's open source, and this means that anybody can look at the code. They can suggest improvements or build upon it. Um, you can actually... And, and GitHub is, so you'll, the way GitHub works, it's basically like the kind of a, a central repository of the code for a project like Bitcoin or like Libra. And you can suggest improvements, right? So if you see something that's wrong, you can basically uh, suggest a change. And if that's accepted by the people that run that project, right, uh, it'll get merged into the actual, you know, in, in Bitcoin's case, into the Bitcoin blockchain. And um, it will also, you know, with Libra do the same thing, right? So anybody can suggest. And there, there's actually some Bitcoin people that are actually doing a, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. They did a, um, a commit asking um, uh, Libra to change a few of the things that basically so that it would look exactly like Bitcoin because it's insecure. But it was kind of a funny little side note of a little bit of a troll going on um, as we like to do. So uh, it, all in all, you know, open source is great. It allows people to build other types of, you know, Libra wallets, build API on top of it. They'll be able to um, use that code to build uh, smart contracts of their own. And um, this, I think, is, is basically kind of why it's going to be the Ethereum killer, right? Because why are you going to build on Ethereum or Tron or EOS or NEO? when you can build all of your stuff right on top of something that's already got major, major backing, that's already set for mass adoption, right? But, you know, we don't really have to necessarily get into um, any kind of debate about Ethereum or any of that kind of stuff. But uh, as I just mentioned, you know, it's also a smart contract platform. Um, you're going to be able to build all your kind of applications and, and all that. But it, it, the difference is that it uses a brand new programming language, called move ethereum uses solidity um you know there's all different kinds of programming languages and all that but they've actually created their own unique one um another neat aspect that i was a bit surprised at is that libra's protocol is going to be uh, pseudonymous and it's going to be very similar to bitcoin in that way in that uh if uh, you know a wallet sends to Libra to another wallet, it's not going to say uh, Dustin or Jim's. That's the identifying feature on the protocol or each account. And it's not going to be linked to, they stated specifically that each account or each wallet is not going to be linked to a real world identity. So uh, there's going to be KYC, know your customer, which re requires uh, identification to your uh, uh, government, um, you know, like your government ID and known information. Um, that's included in, in, in government identification, but that's a, a different thing. We'll talk about that. But the protocol itself will not be linking. Like if you go and look, 
um, on the Libra blockchain or whatever you want to call it, right? The state of the network. And you see wallet XYZ1234, it's not going to say Dustin's, right? And it's not going to say Jim's or whoever's. That being said, also like Bitcoin, it's important to remember that you can easily link accounts to real world identities very fast. Uh, for example, let's just say, you know, eBay, obviously being involved in this is probably going to, um, if PayPal as well, they are going to include Libra on their platforms as soon as it's ready to go live next. Uh, they said spring of 2020, so I'm guessing probably somewhere in the next uh, uh, 8 to 12 months. Um, but if I go into eBay and I buy an antique radio, um, after I logged in with my eBay you know, account that has my name, my all this kind of stuff, um, and I pay using my so-called pseudonymous Libra wallet, guess what? That wallet is easily identifiable through, the, through chain analysis. Um, and these chain analysis is basically the ability to, at its most basic, connect dots, right, on the, on the chain. And easily identify that with chain analysis that this is mine. And it will forever be associated with me, right? Same thing goes for Bitcoin. Um, if I went to Overstock and I have my Bitcoin wallet and I bought, you know, right when Overstock back in 2014, I think it was. I, I believe it was, if I remember correctly. It was like, yeah, 2014 when they first started accepting Bitcoin. It might have even been earlier than that. If I, But anyways, I digress. Um, I, if I bought a sofa with Bitcoin back in 2014... And I've never done anything with it then. It will be quite easy um, for, let's just say, I'm being investigated through, by some government agency or whatever, for them to link um, by getting records from Overstock now to link that um, to link that that address because Overstock's addresses that they use will probably be quite uh, well known and have already been you know identified on the blockchain. So if they see X wallet sent you know, money to, you know, overstock, they can figure out that it's my name. Now it's associated with me. So with Libra, let's just say I bought that radio today on eBay, but five years from now, I went and bought some illegal fireworks from someone out the back of a gas station and he gets busted. And then they analyze his Libra wallet. They'd quickly be able to tell that I paid him 125 Libra, you know, a couple of days before that. So it's forever linked, right? So can you keep a wall, a Bitcoin wallet, quote unquote, anonymous. Y yes, ish, but you have to be very, very, very careful uh, in in the way that you do that. Um, as far as for IP addresses and everything used, um, if you want to learn how to do that, you can Google it. And kind of go down that rabbit hole. I'm not, I'm not going to give out that kind of um, information right now, just because I don't have it at my disposal. Not because I'm against that, but it'll be really interesting to see what privacy tools are developed. You know, and also if Libra attempts to, you know, block mixing or other uh, coin mixing or other anonymizers, like in Bitcoin, you can use something that's called um, uh, CoinJoin or I forget the one that Samurai Wallet uses. But anyways, that's kind of more like their term for it. What it does is like, let's just say you each have one Bitcoin, you get 100 people together and it mixes all these Bitcoins up multiple multiple times or as many times i guess as you want to set the anonymity level to and once it does that it mixes them so much all these utxos the unspent transaction outputs right that are basically actually really uh 
the your right to that specific asset is that UTXO, your ability to use your private key to spend that UTXO, that unspent transaction output. Um, it mixes all these together and then shoots them back out to each individual person. Uh, and now you have brand new Bitcoin that has nothing to do with the ones that you put into there, right? And so this doesn't make it like, quote unquote, anonymous, but especially if enough people are using these coin mixers and anonymizers, it really makes it almost impossible to do any sort of chain analysis. But anyways, uh, let's let's keep on moving on. Uh, I kind of mentioned it already, but Libra will also be a permissioned protocol. And this is the big, 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 big difference uh, between Bitcoin and Libra. So if I want to run a full node on Bitcoin um, and join the network, I can. If I want to mine... And every miner is themselves actually a node, right? Because they have to know um, the, the the blockchain to to be able to mine. Um, I can do that. I can join it at a participant, whether I want to run my own full node for my own reasons or um, uh, run a mining node, whatever. I can do that. No problem. I don't have to ask anybody. Um, there's no prerequisites other than you have the equipment to do it. You have an internet connection that allows it. And you basically run the run the uh, the program correctly and that's that's it right as long as you play by the the network rules you can participate no problem libra however only allows well currently i don't remember the i didn't count them i should have now but i know they don't have 100 partners they're aiming to get 100 partners to run a node um which they required I believe 1 billion in assets or revenue and like 500 million in transactions or whatever. And you had to buy, you had to spend $10 million to get the note as well on top of all those prereqs. And you were basically buying uh, $10 million in Libra. What's it? Uh, I forget the, the, the exact uh, term. It's like Libra. Libra investment token or something along those lines. So there's actually two tokens that we're talking about. And we'll get into the Libra, what is the currency itself work. But what most people are thinking of as Libra, the currency is what you're going to spend, what you're going to have in your wallet on Facebook, what you're going to send to people, kind of like the way Venmo does. But there's actually two. There's the one everybody gets to use. And then there's basically these investment tokens that act as equity, which basically makes them security. But we'll talk about that in a little bit later too as well. Um, and you buy 10 million of these, uh, $10 million worth of these investment tokens. And then is the only way that you can run it. They claim in the future that they will transition to a permissionless protocol, which infers that if it is actually, if the word means what it's supposed to mean, um, it, it infers that anyone could run a node, but I highly, 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 let me say further, highly, 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 highly doubt that this will ever happen. I guess what I mean is that I think that maybe we could be operating with different definitions that what is truly permissionless and what the word actually means is what Bitcoin is. And that is not what I think Libra will ever be. And I highly doubt that these founding partners will have forked out $10 million dollars uh, to run a node 
that apparently you or I get to run in like five years. I That makes no sense to me. And I don't think that they are going to, because um, it, it infers that if they're going to expand the ability to run a node, that with the node, you would also be due some of the investment tokens. But I don't know, maybe if you have to purchase that, that gets a little bit more gray area on how I'd want to do that. But um, in, in short, I don't think they're going to open it up to anybody. They may expand it beyond 100 that is a real possibility as there's more and more interest in this thing. And they may expand it um, to more partners that may have like, um, they may not get the same one-to-one token for their node um, that the founding partners got. That may be a diluted version of the, that investment token, but um, they may, they may do that, but it will only be to, you know, the right kind of people. And we are not those right kind of people. So let's move on to how does the actual Libra currency work? Uh, Libra aims to be basically a stable coin. If you're not aware what a stable coin is, it's kind of this phenomenon in the cryptocurrency world that aims to basically be a stable store of value. As you know, Bitcoin um, fluctuates. It's got volatility, every single, you know, Litecoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, everything. It fluctuates um, based on supply and demand. And I apologize, I actually got a, a cold, so my, my voice is starting to go out here a little bit, but uh, I'll just keep on soldiering on. Um, and things like USDT or US dollar tether or Gemini dollar or um, USDC, all these different kinds of stable coins, what they really aim to be is to be one-to-one with a US dollar. And there's also Euro ones and all the, also that kind of stuff. But the reason that they're aiming to do this is so that it's a lot easier uh, for you to, let's just say, you sell your Bitcoin on Kraken. And instead of getting U.S. dollars that uh, you then, let's just say, for whatever reason, you don't want a chance sending uh, Bitcoin over the network from one exchange to another because of art, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so you want to send, you know, a dollar value, but you don't want to pull your money out through a wire transfer, then do a second wire transfer. Once that clears your bank account to another, you can just send USDT or USDC into uh, that next exchange or whatever. And it's going to be roughly if you sell one Bitcoin for $10,000 and you get 10,000 USDT, you can send that USDT over and you get basically roughly, you know, a uh, small fee taken out, you know, 9,900 and 98.5 USDT on the other end or whatever, right? So that you can do that. It's also been, you know, said to be something they could use in the third world or whatever. But but anyways, um, it aims to be a stable coin. I think this really kills the use case for stable coins as well, but I could be wrong. But it is, you know, it's not aiming to be a deflation, deflationary asset like Bitcoin that accrues higher and higher values over time. As the scarcity, there's only 21 million Bitcoin that'll ever be uh, available, and there's far fewer than that that'll be available that have been lost. Um, it'll drive higher prices as the supply dwindles. Um, every so often, the block reward, every single block, there's a certain amount of Bitcoin produced to increase the supply. That is cut in half every couple of years. We're coming up on one very soon. And as there's more demand, all those things together mean higher and higher prices. So... Uh, Libra will uh, not be stable in a way that we call the dollar stable 
Um, although I wouldn't exactly call the dollar perfectly stable either, but that's a different discussion. So the Libra is going to be uh, backing their coin by what they call a quote-unquote basket of currencies. And this is going to help reduce volatility in price. You know, Bitcoin goes up and down. And, and that there's a lot of different reasons that actually um, overall, if you dollar cost average Bitcoin every single month, no matter when you started buying Bitcoin, you'd actually be in the green, even if you started at the very peak. OK, so that's not investment advice. Do whatever you want, do your own research and all that kind of good stuff. But um, these assets in Libra uh, will be currencies like the dollar, like the euro, like the one. And it's even been intimated that government and um, corporate bonds could be included. And they'll also, you know, reserve the right to rebalance this reserve uh, portfolio if any of the currencies or assets expect um, or show higher volatility. Um, in this way, the Libra will not be a flat line. It's not going to be 100% stable at all times. There may be points where, you know, you buy $100 in Libra and, uh, you know, in a month, your Libra portfolio could be worth $102. It could be worth 98 but it's going to roughly hover, at least that's what they're trying to do, around the same value that you paid for it. Um, Libra has not indicated that they're going to hold gold or Bitcoin in this basket. But I do suspect that over time, as Bitcoin's value continues to accrue, while Libra's stays quote-unquote stable, a capital flight will occur you know, at a trickle and increase as people continue to look at charts and see basically this macro line of Libra to Bitcoin showing Bitcoin is a better asset. It's continuing to grow on this steady line upwards in value. And as the Bitcoin network gets larger and larger, it becomes more and more secure. And if you have the option of holding your assets in a extremely secure network that accrues higher values over time, or a network that um, is highly secure, but also stays the same, which one are you going to pick? I think they're going to be increasingly forced to hold more and more Bitcoin in their basket of these currencies and assets to stay competitive. But we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later. Hey, folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we did recording it. I don't have any sponsors, but if you could do me a big favor and go to iTunes and leave a five-star or a written review, that would help me out a lot. You can also help out by going to supportmypodcast.com. That's supportmypodcast.com, where you're going to find all the other ways that you can help out. If you actually go to the discounts tab, that's supportmypodcast.com slash discounts, you can get on an early mailing list and you will get access absolutely for free as a listener and supporter of this podcast to discounts for such things as VPNs, Bitcoin wallets, Bitcoin related clothing, as well as other kind of health products that I think are very helpful for people to just live a better life. So go over to supportmypodcast.com slash discounts and sign up today. And, and ooh, another interesting point is that Libra's basket of assets will be held in reserve. And those assets are going to be making money, right? So they are going to be holding, you know, real dollars, real bonds, real euros, and those are going to accrue them interest for holding them, right? So who gets this? Well, according to Facebook, the interest on those assets are to be used to, quote unquote, cover system costs, ensure low transaction fees, and pay dividends to investors 
who provided capital to create Libra. This is where that Libra investment token comes into play. So when you bought the 10 million, you paid $10 million to run a node, you were buying $10 million in their token. This token basically gives you shares in the, in, in the equity of the money that's coming off of the uh, Libra reserves. So this indicates that for right now, their plan is that none of the users, any of us that use it, will not be getting any interest holding it. I think this will change. And uh, Caitlin Long on the What Bitcoin pod, uh, What Bitcoin Did podcast mentioned that Libra is in a bit of a pickle here, and that there will probably be a populist, you know, outcry, particularly from the left, if this new currency is just going to benefit wealthy Silicon Valley elites who helped create it and who helped give you know, Facebook $10 million each to be able to get these tokens. Um, but the problem is if they offer interest to users, they will actually probably trigger, I shouldn't say probably, they will trigger what's called the Howey test, which is used to determine if something is a security or not. So the Howey test refers to a 46, uh, 1946 Supreme Court case involving the Howey Company of Florida. Yes, the Florida man is ever present even in corporations. And this court case determined that a security is determined if someone uh, was investing money in something and they were led to believe that they will expect to make money to get profits um, from the efforts of a promoter or a third party, so i.e. not themselves. So Facebook stock is a security because they're, I do expect a profit. Um, that is based on a work uh, that's based on the work of the of a third party, Facebook, right? Uh, I wouldn't buy it if I didn't expect profit. And the SEC has determined that Bitcoin and Ethereum as well is not a security because there's no real third party. Um, there's no Bitcoin Incorporated that everybody's working under or a Bitcoin CEO um, who's doing the work of the network with an expectation of profit. Bitcoin, yes, does accumulate value, but its decentralization means there's no third party or promoter that a traditional security like Facebook stock would have. Being a security, though, would make use of the Libra and tax implications for users very, very cumbersome, um, as well invite even more layers of regulations and oversight, which they really don't want. They're going to have enough anyways. If I had to guess, I... I will. I do think that Libra is going to split the the difference, um, and I think that, or I should say, the Libra Association is going to decide to do this once there's some public outcry on this. Uh, we'll get into the association here in just a little bit, uh, but they can basically do whatever they want. Any of the people that are the node runners, part of the association, the founding members, can do whatever that they want, and I think they're going to split the interest created by the asset reserves between the association and the users kind of as a compromise. But that's just me guessing. I don't know for sure. Libra, Libra will also involve uh, the currency. They're going to be burning and minting new currency as the market demands. If more people are using Libra and demand goes up, they could purchase more reserve assets for the basket to back more minting of Libra. Conversely, if demand drops, they can burn Libra, sell off the reserve assets or whatever that they want to go do. Uh, the interesting thing too is that you know that all that money that's made from from selling these assets as they burn Libra um, is is going to you know be going to the founding members anybody that holds a a, a Libra investment token they do they have not 
specifically said, uh, and, and maybe I just I missed it, but I did not see anything in there where they were specifically going to 100% back it, right? So if they're saying we hold these baskets of currencies that you know equal out to X amount of Libra, we don't know if it's going to be 100% backed, right? So if they have 2 billion Libra in circulation that they have 2 billion in assets, they may do what banks do, which is one of the worst things about uh, um, central banking policies is this uh, fractional reserve where they really only have 10% of the assets. So if a bank supposedly says uh, it's got, you know, let's say enough customers to have, you know, $1 million in, in uh, bank deposits so that if everybody combined all their bank accounts, they had $1 million total, they only hold about 100000 uh, because normally they say, well, you know, not everybody goes and tries to pull their money out. Problem is, if anybody does, the bank just shuts down. Oh, well, sorry. Um, but this will be very interesting to see if they actually go and do this, because Libra is going to be taking on banking. Uh, they are going to be taking on wire transfers and the SWIFT systems and all this kind of stuff. This is kind of one of the neater aspects, and it will be really interesting to see what banks do. Um, but uh, we, we could talk about that at a later time. So uh, the wallet itself, Facebook is going to be creating the Calibra wallet app that will be available once Libra launches, you know, like I said, early to mid next year. Um, the wallet's going to be integrated natively into Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp platforms. This has a combined user base of 1.9 billion people. 1.9 billion people. That is basically mass adoption once they launch this. Possibly. I mean, not everybody could start using it, right? But, I mean, to have 1.9 billion people directly with this in their face, that's that's uh, definitely a leg up on what Bitcoin ever had in, in its early days. The app, the Calibra app run by Facebook, is going to require you to verify your identity via uh, uh, KYC. Know your customer laws. These are required for any banks. You'll notice if you open up a bank account, they need your you know driver's license, social security card, all this kind of stuff to verify you are who you are. And you will, as you do with other finance apps like Cash App, you'll upload a government photo ID. Um, possibly with a lot of these things, they, they'll have you... Upload your photo ID, take a picture of your face. Sometimes they'll even have you hold the driver's license next to your face, that sort of thing. And once you are approved, you will be able to use a debit or a credit card and likely link your bank accounts so that you can purchase and sell Libra as, as you so please. Um, and use that as your native currency uh, on, on Facebook and other locations. Uh, Facebook has also intimated that in areas of the third world where, you know, just ability to download apps and all this other kind of stuff may not be, or even ha if you don't have a bank account, right? Uh, uh, if these services don't exist, there there will be physical locations available just to basically hand over whatever your local currency is to be converted into Libra and then dumped into your app. I don't think this is like them saying they're going to franchise, you know, buy Libra stores. I think it's, they're going to be pushing it out um, into the normal networks of independent money changers to offer Libra. Um, they're going to basically offer it, uh, same way that, you know, Vodafone offers, um, which Vodafone is one of the partners, uh, the way that Vodafone, um, offers the ability to buy phone credits. Right. So as you go and you buy these, these, um, 
uh, little phone credits and mobile phone credits as you pay for it, um, then you can load them up. I imagine the same way it will kind of be with, with Libra. Uh, the wallet is the Calibra wallet run by Facebook, right? There's going to be other um, third parties that are going to be making their own wallets, which will be very cool as well. But the Calibra wallet is supposed to include a, a password recovery options, two-factor authentication, and customer support. This is a very important addition that Bitcoin does not have. Um, there is no password recovery if you lose your private key, if you hold your own Bitcoin. There's also no customer support uh, unless you use something like Coinbase and that has custodial, um, that, that, that holds your Bitcoin custodially. Um, but if you actually do Bitcoin correctly and hold your own private keys, one of the trade-offs for ultimate, you know, true security and true financial sovereignty um, one of the things you trade off is convenience and kind of, you know, whoopsie, I made a mistake support. The Calibra wallet will likely be the most popular wallet since they are, um, you know, releasing it first and it's going to be native. But like I said, with the open source, there's going to be a multitude of other wallet providers. So lastly, who is the Libra Association? These are the people actually running it. I'm not going to list off every company that has signed up, but companies like Visa, eBay, Spotify, MasterCard, Uber, PayPal, and Vodafone are among them. Um, as of recording this on 20 June 2019, they I mentioned this already before, but they don't have 100 total members, but I imagine that they will soon. It is important to note, though, that while there's some big names, there are also some big names that are not associated. You don't see Apple, you don't see Microsoft, and you don't see Amazon, which is a real, real big one, or something like Alibaba. Um, although Alibaba and all them, what, um, WeChat, which is the biggest, uh, social media app and messaging app over there in China already kind of does the same thing that Libra does, which is, I think why they are doing it. Um, because I think that they want to be through WhatsApp, what WeChat is in, in China, which is not really necessarily a good thing, but, uh, we'll talk about that later as well. Uh, so the purpose of the association is to run the validation nodes. They validate the transactions, the state of the network, and they provide consensus for the network, um, as well as have ultimate authority over the protocol. Uh, Two-thirds of the majority of the, of the node operators, um, the members, are going to be needed to make any changes to the protocol, as well as they are the only ones that can mint Lira, create new Lira, or burn Libra is, uh, uh, did I say Lira? or Libra, burn Libra as needed. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of limitations as to what the members can or cannot do to the protocol if they have majority. So they can basically do whatever they want to the network uh, if they so please. Um, as mentioned before, they said they intend to open this up to be a permissionless system in five or more years, which means that there will be more members of the association. But like I said, I highly doubt they're going to let average Joe into it with a one node, one vote. Um, without at least prerequisites. So uh, it'll probably be something very similar to their current billion in assets, plus a certain amount of coin to purchase, probably a diluted amount of actual voting shares. Um, but uh, they may cut down these requirements to kind of uh, widen the net if they if they feel the need to. What's interesting is uh, I was discussing this with uh, Vin Armani earlier today, and... If basically, if Libra had done everything that they've already done, except for not issuing this Libra investment token, there wouldn't be really much rub with U.S. regulators. Since Ethereum has been pretty much declared not to be a security, there's no reason that Libra 
could be uh, confused as being really that much different other than Ethereum and the way that it operates. But by offering these investment tokens to founding members in exchange for this $10 million, they're already putting themselves in the crosshairs of regulators as a security. I mean, this is not a gray area. You are issuing tokens with the expectation of profit via the um, interest off the reserves. That's the very definition of a security. Um, and we'll kind of talk about a little bit more about that regulatory aspect towards the end of the episode. But Vin's opinion is that they are basically throwing down the gauntlet to regulators and basically calling out their army of lobbyists and lawyers to do battle on this. So they may very well be successful. I personally think that th there's probably a lot of big aspect of that of like, you know, yeah, let's just do this. I, they're, they're, you know, like we'll take our chances. But I, I also think that I find it really hard to believe that they have not been doing a lot of meetings with uh, government regulators, with congressmen, with people in charge of this sort of thing, and not basically, obviously, not could get anything in writing, but basically get the wink and the nod of like. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be fuss thrown up. There's going to be congressional hearings. But, you know, don't worry. We, we got you. This is going to happen. Because I think that there's a lot of people uh, within the government that really would like what Libra is going to do. So the question is, how is this all going to shake out? You know, will this become a privacy nightmare? Will it be a positive move overall in the world? Will it even succeed? Well, in my opinion, to that last question, absolutely, yes, Libra is going to succeed, um, at least in the short to midterm. And by that, I mean kind of within our lifetime-ish, maybe less. Uh, it will find a use case, I think, in the developing in the third world um, first, uh, with less adoption in the West, in my personal opinion. I mean, we already have Venmo. We already have Cash App. and stuff. There's not really a lot of clamoring of people going like, we want another, you know, uh, you know, Cash App. We, we need a new one. We want one that is run by Facebook. That's what we really want. Uh, there's a lot of people that, 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 that are going to like it. They're going to try it. They're going to use it. I'm not saying that they're going to have some like 40 people in the country using it. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think that there's as uh, that the use case is not as strong here as it is in the third world. So people are relatively happy uh, with their national currencies in the West. You know, there's some notable exceptions. Um, not saying that they should be happy with it, but they are. But the third world is where people really need a stable currency the most. Argentina, Venezuela, much of Africa. You know, inflation has run amok and destroyed people's ability to securely, you know, safely and securely, uh, say, or I should say, safely secure their 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 value of their labor over uh, even a, from a short term to a long term in many parts of the world a common feature of payday is rushing you know rushing to uh, change it over to foreign currencies that are more stable like the dollar or euro you know buying gold um, buying you know physical items food whatever um, any asset that's not going to lose its value as they hold it you know libra will, libra will offer them the ability to hold value in something that is stable one to 2% swings in the reserve assets. You know, I don't know the exact, I can't say it's only going to be one to 2%, but you know, it's going to be very small swings, you know, and that's nothing though. 
like having the paper that you just got that you hold lose 34% of its value in a year like they're experiencing right now in Argentina. If you can imagine that that let's say you had, you know, $10,000 in the bank, you have $7,000 now. You had $1,000 in the bank by the end of the year uh or $1,000 in the bank and by the end of the year it's only you can only buy $700 worth of stuff. That's a really really bad thing. It destroys um generations from being able to kind of build up any wealth to pass down into next generations if those assets that you have, if your money is constantly losing value. I apologize. I actually had to uh, step out here for, for a minute and get some uh, tea for my throat. Uh, I was losing my voice here just a little bit. But, you know, um, I I can't I, – I can see even though I am not thrilled about Libra overall – um, there is going to be some positive effects in the third world and may help to, you know, stimulate actual real healthy economic policies in many of these countries if they want their national currencies to be able to, you know, compete with the Libra. Uh, another positive outcome I hope for is that, you know, antiquated securities and tax laws get changed or removed altogether. People in Bitcoin know this nightmare already. Say you buy Bitcoin. Uh, a month later, you buy a cup of coffee with it, or you use some of that to buy a cup of coffee with it. But over that month, since you bought it, Bitcoin's doubled in price. Well, the moment you buy that coffee, you trigger a capital gains event and must pay taxes on the $3 you spent on that coffee because one month ago, that same amount Bitcoin was only worth buck fifty. So not only are you paying $3 and whatever taxes on the on the um, you know, coffee are, but now you're paying capital gains taxes on even using that $3 to buy a cup of coffee. So, uh, it, you know, it's really hard to navigate overall. And, and Libra is going to encounter these same issues. And what I hope is that we will end up getting a more positive environment, you know, not just for Libra, but for Bitcoin and, and, and just humanity overall on the backs of these Libra Facebook lobbyists. So Bitcoin has lobbying advocates like Coin Center, but, and while they do do great work, their budgets are crumbs compared to what, you know, Facebook and, and these types of players can bring to bear. You know, the last positive thing that I will mention, um, although there, there are actually more, is the interesting experiment that Bitcoin has created and that we are watching in real time the concept of the denationalization of money talked about by the great economist Friedrich Hayek. I doubt Libra will be the last corporation to experiment with this. And it is somewhat exciting, or I shouldn't say somewhat, it is actually exciting, even though if there are players like Libra that I'm not really crazy about their actual values, but it is exciting to see this competition and an actual market for money evolving and, and being created right before our eyes. Um, so those were a couple positives that could come out of this. What are the negatives? Well, the obvious is the creation of a privacy nightmare. Facebook already is notorious. We all know this. If you watch any sort of news over the last you know few years, even longer than that, really, they you know they they track uh, their their track record for privacy is as horrendous as you can get. And yes, I did say earlier. That the protocol, the protocol is pseudonymous, and I also mentioned that they are not going to attach 
you know, like the um, Libra wallets, or I should say probably the public addresses uh, to the real life identities on the protocol. But what does that actually mean? What this means is that is as I've already kind of gotten into before is that the protocol, the underlying, you know, the math functioning of the network isn't going to have a wallet listed on the network as Donald Trump's wallet or Barack Obama's wallet. Um, so it's not going to show Donald Trump's wallet. And then you'd be able to look and see, well, in Donald Trump's wallet yesterday, he sent 14 Libra to KFC for a meal. And today it sent another hundred Libra to, to Ivanka Trump's wallet. There's going to be a string of characters indicating one wallet sending a hundred Libra to another string of characters. That's going to represent another wallet. But remember, again, also that just because something isn't tracked on the protocol and named by name doesn't mean it can't be tracked at all. And on the contrary, it will be tracking you and you'll get tracked very, very hard. Um, what will happen is this. Spotify, eBay, Lyft, Uber, Vodafone, all these companies will integrate Libra. You will be able to buy their products you know, with it, you will be able to use your Calibra wallet or even a third party wallet, right? Well, third party uh, producers, you just get off of um, the Google Play or Apple. Um, and once you take your pseudonymous Libra wallet that doesn't have your name attached to it and purchase Spotify premium, you are known. And I can bet the node operators and participating companies will share the user wallet data of who is who, right? So if you look, if you or I looked at the Libra blockchain and they saw, let's just say, uh, wallet ABCDEFG sent 10, you know, Libra to another wallet, we're not going to know who those two people are, right? And the network and the participants may never know who that is. But once ABCDEFG sends 10 Libra to Spotify for a year of premium, um, ad-free Spotify, I can guarantee you that they are going to have a collective list within this group of these members that is going to have a, It's going to be a massive, massive, massive list of who owns what wallets and what they buy. You know, as I talked about in the Medium article that I released uh, a couple days ago, actually, I think I did it on Tuesday. It's just kind of a quick hot take of um, of of the uh, of the Libra of the Libra currency. Is that this is going to form a panopticon of what I'm kind of calling the retail surveillance state. That's part of uh, the overall surveillance capitalism that has been building around us. Uh, and it's going to be something that we only have read about in novels. Facebook will do what they're saying. They're going to start to give you your privacy back. And they're not going to track and really care about your likes and your shares and all that kind of stuff. Because they're not going to need to. They will now begin to create a list of what you actually buy. Not just what you like or what you shared or what you said that you liked and would like to buy. But... What you actually buy is a much, much, much better indication of your future spending habits than what you like, uh, what candidates, you know, all this kind of stuff. How you actually spend your money is a much better indication. So let's just say, for example, they will know that in the past on most Fridays you went and had three to six drinks at a local bar. And then most often you'd order Uber Eats from McDonald's when you came home tipsy. Um, 
recent purchasing activity has now been kind of showing that you've been trying to eat healthier. And purchases show that you bought some detox teas to clean up your body and kind of purge all that alcohol from your system. And it's been four weeks since you last went out to drink. But tonight, uh, you did so um, and went out and, and drank. And now your social media is being hit up with McDonald's, Uber Eats ads, you know, $1 off or something like that. And even though you hadn't even thought of it yet, um, or even maybe never would have, now you do see it, and 25 minutes later, you're smashing that quarter pounder of cheese and a strawberry milkshake into your face. Another reason I think that this will succeed is that, you know, governments around the world have dreamed of a cashless society. India is actually moving very, very quickly towards one. And it's not just because paperless is better for the people or environmentally conscious, but its tracking abilities are second to none. If every transaction is known, you can tell a lot about a person. Whether they're going through a rough time or they just fell in love and they're just new dating, you know, a lot of you know, movies and dinners and, and all that kind of stuff. You can tell if they're not going to be able to pay their bills next month, if they're abusing drugs, engaging in risky behaviors, eating unhealthy, all this kind of stuff. All this has very real consequences from the more kind of political thriller of blackmailing possible dissidents um, to arresting somebody for buying drugs, um, even maybe in the past, right? when they didn't realize it was buying drugs until much later. Or even increasing someone's health insurance costs because they eat a lot of fast food or they party too much. Your doctor puts you on a cholesterol-lowering medication and stipulates that you need to decrease you know, your, your food intake and exercise more. Well, uh, Libra purchases indicate you continue to, you know, you've been continuing to eat Arby's uh, twice a week and never renewed your gym membership. So your health insurance rejects the claim for payment of the medication next quarter until you can kind of show that you're willing to actually do everything that's required to uh, uh, decrease these unhealthy life habits that are leading to your, to your health problems. In the West, there is healthy skepticism to a certain degree, depends on where we're at, um, but, and much less so in recent decades. Um, towards government surveillance of what we do, what we buy. And this is a very good thing um, in terms of an open society, a free society, a society we all want to live in. Cashless societies have been you know, rejected in the West because of these concerns of loss of privacy or liberty. If a private company did it, however, it could sidestep this concern. The U.S. dollar or British pound is still available to use. You don't have to use Libra, they'll say, but retailers will be drawn to the benefits of maybe not needing to pay three, five, whatever percent it is for a credit card processing fee. And they may even actually be given the carrot of being given interest, a small piece of interest. But even if it's like 0.001% or even, you know, 0.01%, which sounds like a pittance, it really is not compared to, well, I can make, you know, a few bucks or I could be losing three, $3 at every $100 that I spend, right? Um, in the occasion that they hand over the data, right? Who bought this? What was the name? You know, on the on the, you know, who bought this? If you know any of the, any of this data, right? And you can collate this stuff, and you can figure out their spending habits. Um, and I'm guessing that this data that will be handed over by retailers will be done. So there's going to be a bunch of other private chain analysis teams, but I can guarantee you, there's probably going to be some sort of Libra Association or adjacent that's owned by a lot of the people in the Libra Association 
some sort of consumer chain analysis company that's going to collate all this data and create that retail surveillance state. So this retail surveillance state is part of the concept, like I mentioned, of surveillance capitalism. It is much more preferable to, you know, to, to, to governments around the world who wish to surveil their citizens more but can't or want to sidestep legal protections. Because, for example, freedom of speech under the First Amendment, it's a negative right. And a negative right by that, I mean that it is saying the government cannot do, cannot stop you from, right? Positive right says you have a, a right to something. A negative right means you have uh, the right to not be, um, have, that, have that, uh, that right inhibited from you being able to practice it. So they can't stop you from speaking your mind in the public square, although some terms and conditions do apply. Um, so this means like they can't outlaw you being a socialist or outlaw you being a furry or however you wish to express yourself. There is, however, no legal protection of your speech on something like Twitter. Twitter sets terms of service that they can that can run totally antithetical to legally or what we consider legally protected speech or even the concept of just the kind of larger concept of free speech in an open society. And it's perfectly legal, and I would argue that it is morally acceptable for them to do so, um, given that it, it's voluntary in nature, the, the arrangement. A private platform offers no, or I, I should say fewer protections in the public square, depending on which platform we're talking about. It is technically illegal in the U.S. for an intelligence agency to read your email or see who you called or any of this kind of stuff without obtaining a warrant first. It is perfectly legal for Google to read your emails, which they, in fact, do by scanning them to obtain better data on what products to market to you. And in a lot of ways, you can kind of chalk up what Facebook and Google do as far as their surveillance um, as semi-harmless in that, for the most part, they're just trying to sell you things. And this was my thought process on this for a long time, although I am starting to very much kind of change this thing as where things are going. Um, but, you know, for a long time, it was kind of viewed as harmless. They're just trying to sell you things to improve your experience by not showing you ads of, say, horseback riding equipment, you know, and you hate horses. And instead, they show you stuff about Marvel comic books. It's something that you're interested in, right? If you actually turn off, if you go to Google, you turn off all your location data, you turn off all your cookies, you turn off everything that any of the data tracking stuff that you are allowed to turn off, your experience gets pretty bad. Um, and, you know, it, it is a convenience thing, right? It is kind of nice. Like if you go and search restaurant near Google on, on phone, you go to Google and you type in um, sushi restaurants nearby. It's going to use your location to find out. If not, it's just going to go wherever your IP probably is and um, wherever you're connected to, or I guess that'd be more desktop on your, but anyways, it's a worse experience. But the problem with all this stuff is that they are turnkey solutions to a police state. Um, examples of which I don't really need to list off. You, you know most of them. But just imagine, though, how useful it would be for a totalitarian government to know that a large subsection of dissidents that are protesting them right now um, are also fans of Neil Stevenson and his book Cryptonomicon in, in particular. Um with Libra and say Amazon, you could easily find out every single person who's bought new and used copies 
or I should say in most of the used copies of this book in the last 5, 10, 20 years. You don't need to argue a new law in Congress if a corporation will turn over that same data to you, often without even a request, or often with only a request and no warrant. So, all that stuff, the, the concepts of, of what this will mean for privacy and freedom are pretty bad, right? Um, the other question that a lot of people ask is, what does this mean for Bitcoin? Well, a lot of critics, uh, some of them, I'm, I'm surprised actually not more, uh, have used this announcement and will use Libra Success to bludgeon Bitcoin as being the more environmentally wasteful one, slow and expensive. It's not as good. Libra's way better. I actually, I covered the and why the environmental concerns are actually way overblown in episode 28 of my podcast uh, with Christopher Bendix and um, where we kind of basically went over that actually compared to a lot of other industries. Um, Bitcoin's actually, the, the energy usage is actually about 75% renewable, which is way better than you'll find in a lot of other places. But to be fair, uh, to critics of Bitcoin uh, specifically, I guess uh, Bitcoin BTC, um, some of these criticisms are, are legitimate. It is slow um, compared to Libra, which will do this in 10 seconds. And it is far more expensive compared to free, right? Uh, that being said, there's reasons why Bitcoin is this way. First, you know, you can achieve cheap transactions on say Lightning Network. Uh, which is being developed or um, on-chain with bigger blocks, which is what the proponents of Bitcoin Cash have uh, you know, put forward. The biggest thing is that Bitcoin is truly decentralized. It's not in the hands of 100 mega corporations, but in the hands of anybody who wants to, who has basically a laptop laying around can run a full node. Anyone who wants to run a miner or a node, miners are a little bit more expensive than that, can participate if they want to. There's no single point of failure in Bitcoin. There's thousands of nodes and they all have to reach, you know, consensus. There's you know, unlike, you know, a 50 man committee in Switzerland that can change the protocol on their whim. Bitcoin cannot reverse transactions. It cannot block you from using it. They can't take your money away from you and they can't stop you from transacting, uh, transacting. It is censorship resistant. That is one of the most important things as well. Um, if not probably the most important thing is that Bitcoin cannot stop you from sending it. A transaction to somebody. Libra, I can guarantee you, will censor transactions. They will not allow people who are political dissidents, I'm sure in China, if China even allows them in there, to receive the money. And they will, uh, Facebook will actively participate in a role where if they can identify if a dissident, let's just say, uh, uses a, a wallet address, they will block people from being able to send it. They may even take their money from them. I mean, this is hard to tell, but I, I don't doubt given their, their history. Bitcoin, you cannot do that. If I send one Bitcoin to a dissident because I like the work that they do, no one can take that Bitcoin away from them. No one. No one can stop me from doing that. That also does not mean that there's not consequences for me doing that if it's known that I did it. But nobody can actually stop me from doing it in the same way that if I want to send a wire transfer to a dissident in Venezuela, I probably can't really do that. Um... Bitcoin is also deflationary, as we mentioned, and also has a fixed supply. Libra is basing their currency on the same currencies whose systemic failures led to Bitcoin in the first place, right? There's no fixed supply. 
Um, the amount of Libra can also fluctuate. There can be more or less just depending on the whims of 50 people in Switzerland. Um, you know, we talked about this uh, earlier as well. Bitcoin's value continues to rise. And I made this point, but I think it's really important to, to note it again, is that in, as these as Bitcoin's value rises and the basket of currencies and assets that Libra holds continues to lose its spending power, the Libra Association will be forced to hold Bitcoin to remain competitive against it. And in my opinion, will become increasingly irrelevant as their holdings grow to hold more and more Bitcoin. And people will just, as they hold more and more Bitcoin, people are just going to hold Bitcoin themselves versus why trade my sovereignty and privacy to someone so that they can gain wealth off of it for themselves when I can just do that. And that is what Bitcoin is, financial sovereignty. So in the long run, I am very, very bullish on Bitcoin like never before. And Libra, like the corrupt currencies it holds, will end up in the dustbin of history. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you do me a huge favor, if you enjoyed it, please go over to iTunes, leave a five-star and a written review. That helps me so much. You have no idea because that's actually what helps propel the podcast forward. It gets it in front of more people when they search for something like Bitcoin or whatever in the search bar for podcasts. If you can also go over to supportmypodcast.com and see all the other ways that you can help. Um, Amazon, all this kind of stuff. Sorry, my voice is going out again. And I'm also starting a discount program for listeners and supporters. Absolutely free. Costs you nothing. I don't take any of your information. All I basically need is a email so that I can get you a password to log in. It's going to be launching very, very soon. And it's going to give you discounts on things that are normal Bitcoin stuff like keep keys and trezors and Bitcoin merchandise, as well as um, increasing uh, number of retailers that sell health related products that I use and, and can vouch for. Uh, and that'll once again, be absolutely free sign up uh, to get on the list at supportmypodcast.com slash discounts. That's supportmypodcast.com slash discounts. So once again, I'd like to thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.